Amen. Well, it's, uh, you don't even know the danger you're in right now, uh, because I walked up here with two sermons. <laughs> I got two of them to go, right? Uh, but we're only going to do one today. Um, and once again, uh, the reason for that is because I, I really feel it's not like this message I'm going to give today is any less important than the one that I was planning on giving, but uh, in continuing on in the book of James, um, this, this passage that we're gonna, we were planning on looking at is so critically important for, for as many people to hear, and I know that some of the elements have kept some people away, so, so this is all locked down, ready to go for next week, and uh, what you're going to get today is a little bit different. So if you're following along, like in the sermon notes and life group questions, they just will not, uh, they will not have any correlation to them, so uh, feel free to take notes somehow else, um, but otherwise be ready to go for next week as we talk about how... Uh, our words have the power to, to do some really damaging things in the lives of those around us. But this week we're going to look at uh, what it means to be part of a church. And some of this is, uh, really all of this is based off of one of the things I've been talking with our church leadership about. And uh, we most recently had uh, a leadership training session on Tuesday night. And so these are some of the thoughts that I shared with them. And uh, I reworked it a little bit so that it applies for the whole church as well. Um, but this is really initially set up for church leadership and what we wanted to talk about there at our training session. So um, can I just, I just want to pray God's blessing on this time now because we're kind of doing the big switcheroo, but I still think that it's applicable to us and that we'll be blessed. So I know that Warren has already prayed for us, but let's go ahead and ask God to bless this time. Lord, we pray that this would be your time. We recognize that it is. This pulpit is not my pulpit. This pulpit is not the church's pulpit. This is your opportunity to speak to your people. And so I pray that you would do that. And I pray that uh, we would be submissive to what your word has to say and also be greatly encouraged by its message today. And so we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Um, I started off the leadership training time on Tuesday night. Uh, we met together as elders and deacons 30 minutes earlier than we normally would uh, so that we could talk about some church leadership training stuff. And I said this line, I said, I don't think that any of us here in this room have the foggiest idea of the depth of calling and the absolute privilege it is to be leaders in God's church. And I said that we should be floored at the opportunity that's given to us and the gift that has been given to us. And so that's how I started off the leadership training session on Tuesday night. And really, as I thought about it throughout this week, that's really not just um, to leaders, really. Um, not only is it cool to be like a leader in God's church, but simply to be part of the church. What an amazing gift it is that God has given to each one of us. And so I hope that what we talk about today is extremely beneficial, not only for church leadership, they've already heard this message, but now for, for the church itself, that this is extremely beneficial for all of us here who are the gathered church that is here today, and even those that aren't gathered here because they weren't able to brave the elements like you faithful remnant were, right? So I hope that this is, I hope that this is a mutual, mutually encouraging message for all of us here, whether you're here in the pews or those of you online, this message is of critical importance. The Apostle Paul talks about an inexpressible gift in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now in the context of this passage, this is the Apostle Paul wrapping up his teaching to the Corinthians, encouraging them to participate willfully and cheerfully 
in giving generously to meet the needs of the suffering Jerusalem Christians. So this is about giving financially, right? His concluding declaration of this whole teaching is, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In the end, Paul's focus is not just about the opportunity for the Corinthians to give some of their money to struggling Christians, but I also think in Paul's mind that he's thinking about the gift of Jesus Christ himself, who had been sacrificially given for us and to all of us who make up the body of Christ, of which he is the head. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that we need to be reminded of so often, and not just on Christmas. That's when we usually think about Jesus being a gift, but, you know, the snow helps us remind us of that, right? That Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift that he has given, that God has given to his people. This verse the gift in this verse refers to, the, refers to the salvation we read about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God has given a gift of salvation to those of us who believe, and we have done nothing to deserve the gift. Nothing. And since God gives this salvation based on his unmerited favor, And because of God's grace, we read verses like this. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus willfully gave up his life by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. What a gift. And Jesus did that willingly. Look at this verse in John chapter 10. Just as Jesus' words, no one takes it from me. Like, I'm not being forced into this. But I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to take it back up again. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He's going to do this willingly, laying down his life for us. What a gift. He bore our sins and took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. So the Apostle Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The church has received an incredible gift from God. Jesus Christ, given to the world and given for the sins of the world, is the inexpressible gift that Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. It's a gift too great to be expressed in words. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because you know what Jesus Christ himself said? Do you know what the gift said? This is what he said in Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's the gift that keeps on giving, because not only was Jesus Christ given once for the sins of the world, but then he says, I'm going to give another gift to the world, and I'm going to build this thing called the church, and then the risen Lord, who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, commissioned his first disciples to do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make little learners of me. Make little apprentices of me. As you follow me, then make people that follow me as well. And that's exactly what these first disciples did. 
Little Christ ones is what they were called in the book of Acts. These people live so different than everybody else. I'm like, what do we call these people? Well, they're followers of Jesus who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Let's start calling him people of the way. And it just didn't stick. And so they said, well, let's just call them little Christ ones, Christians. And that's exactly what these people did. They go out and they start establishing the church, Jesus, building the church through their efforts. That's what they're called in the book of Acts. And then in Revelation, we read of this, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. There we read about a great multitude that no one could ever number from every nation, not just the Jewish nation, but every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, which is a symbol of our purity and our cleansing. So that's what we get at the beginning of the first century, and this is what we get at the end of all time. And what we see in between is Jesus saying that he will build his church And Jesus is currently building his church, and at some point in the future, the church will be built. And all the while, all throughout the duration of the building project of the church in the world, it's functioning as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ himself. You've heard me say this before. The church is the tangible expression of who Jesus is in our world today. He is the head And we, as the gathered church, make up his body. The church is the body of Christ. And so once again, I don't think that any of us have the faintest idea about the importance and the depth of calling and absolute privilege it is to be part of this entity that God Almighty has called us into, the church of Jesus Christ. The church that Jesus promised to build, God's church. So track this, we're kind of in, in the beginning of Lent season, I don't know if you knew that or not, and this is something that I shared with the staff on Tuesday morning. I said, I said we live in a world that's been subjected to futility. Anybody groan <laughs> every once in a while, right? That's how I opened up my staff, I was like, how good are we at groaning, <laughs> right? The world has been subjected to frailty and futility Decay, groaning, and bondage. And we're actually in a season of Lent as we try to focus on these things, remind ourselves of these things, and repent and make ourselves ready by giving up certain things to make us long for the appearing of our Messiah again. The world has been subjected to a curse and brokenness. But just as Jesus Christ was the inexpressible gift given to the world in the first century, listen, The universal church that he has begun building is God's gift to the world now. We are part of something incredibly important. This isn't just like, well, I think I'll try to go to church today. The roads don't look that bad, right? No, no, that's not, and that's not a shot at anybody that's not here. I promise it's not. We have to grasp the importance of what it means to be the church. The local church is God's gift to each specific region that God has sovereignly placed it in. We are so vitally important. We are little outposts of the heavenly kingdom. 
the people who gather here and who assemble here are an earthly assembly of Christ's heavenly kingdom as he rules our lives from there. We're like these little outposts of the great heavenly kingdom. You and I have been summoned by King Jesus himself, gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve in specific capacities and meet various needs so that we do all do the work of the ministry. The good works that we were prepared beforehand to walk in, the works that we are to be zealous to do, and that actually the work of Christ in his current ministry is doing as he rules the world from heaven through our efforts, we are people that demonstrate our love for him by keeping his commandments. The church, we should be shocked and we should be humbled at this opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Like I said, I don't think that any of us have the faintest idea of the depth of calling and the absolute privilege it is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So think about this. We're not too far removed from like the last couple years when world governments were busy classifying social services as either essential or non-essential. Do you remember those days? Like world leaders were saying, okay, well, this is essential, so let's keep this going. This is non-essential, so let's not keep that going. Well, I want to tell you something. There is only one essential social service in the universe, and his name is Jesus Christ. You know why? Because according to Colossians 1.17, it says this, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So that tells me that if he's holding all things together, if you take him out of the equation, then all hell breaks loose. What does he say? Apart from me, how much can we do? Nothing. I'm so glad you had it in equipping our Garrett. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So that tells me that he is absolutely essential. And since he himself is the intrinsic preeminent one of all that is seen and unseen, and we corporately make up his body when we gather together, the church of Jesus Christ has become the one essential social service that must continue to live out its commission regardless of what it might cost us. Do you see the importance of what it means to be in the church the local church, this isn't arrogance because this is not because of who we are. It's because of what our God has said about us. The local church is God's gift to the world. And I'm going to show you why that is here in a moment as we watch two different video clips. But the local church is God's gift to the world. The local church is the tangible expression of who Jesus Christ is. And not only do we get to be a part of it, we also get to be individual members of one another in it, so we're not in this all alone. Who's thankful for the camaraderie that happens in the body of Christ? Me. Anybody ever needed a brother or sister to come alongside you? Yeah. And I'm going to give you an illustration of that at the end of this message. When the church is rightly structured and orbiting around God's word and empowered by the spirit of God through prayer, when it is actively deployed by God to the community that it finds itself in, the gates of hell tremble. 
God's manifold wisdom is what Paul tells the Ephesians about. And glory are made manifest to a watching world. And we all get to play a role in it. We all get to be a part of this. And so we all need to rediscover the importance of what it means to be part of the called out and assembled community of believers. What a privilege. It's a privilege. So I'm saying all of this to inform us and to equip us with what God's word says about his church. And once we understand God's design for this place and our roles in it as we're members of one another in it, we will serve with gratitude and willingly even if things get hard, which they probably will. We must understand something about God's purposes and not just be temporarily or conveniently excited about or motivated by enthusiasm about this topic. At some point, we'll probably all forget about our enthusiasm, our excitement, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will remind us of the truth that has been shared with us so that we can carry out Christ's mission in the world regardless of the cost. It is true, I believe this with all of who I am, understanding whose we are and who we are will always, always determine what we will be willing to do. Well, whose are we? Well, we're God's. We're God's children, adopted into his family, and he is our head. Well, who are we? Well, we are his body. So everything that we do should be fueled by our understanding of that reality. Our theology will always determine our doxology. What I mean by that is we will always be living out what we believe. What we worship in our theology will determine what we do. Our whole lives are to be a living sacrifice of worship to God. So I want to show you two videos that give evidence to the importance of the church, of the living God in the world today. I was watching a Netflix documentary uh, about a week and a half ago with my wife, and the title just kind of caught my eyes. This is completely secular, okay? Um, the documentary is called Take Your Pills, and it's talking about the crisis that our world is experiencing for people that are addicted to Xanax to deal with their anxiety they need to become medicated, and that's the world's philosophy. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying anything about whether or not medication is right or wrong. I'm just pointing to you what the world is saying. And what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourselves, and I'm going to interact with you just a little bit, what solutions are put forward by the leading like psychiatrists and psychologists of this age? Look at what they say, and I want to talk about what the church has to offer after we watch the second video as well. But can we go ahead and play this first video clip? What solutions are put forward? I'm a psychiatrist in New York City, and of course I write prescriptions for antidepressants and for anti-anxiety meds. But I also like to talk to my patients about cannabis-based medicines because it can be very helpful for anxiety. You're not disinhibited, you're not cloudy, you still very much have your wits about you, but you can just sort of handle stress a little bit better. We know a lot about the treatment of these disorders, and the most successful treatments with the best evidence base tend to be the cognitive behavioral therapies. So the techniques tend to focus on 
these systematic habits of thinking, of behaving, the choices we make. And they also create a new mindset, I think, about how we think about our distress. Having that additional layer of sort of that, that little voice that therapy grows for you that says, hey, it's okay, you're feeling your feelings right now and it's okay to feel feelings. Feelings are not facts, thoughts are not facts. All you have to do is keep going through today and then tomorrow will happen and eventually there will be enough tomorrows that you will not be feeling this anymore. And it, it's just enough to keep going because ultimately when you're experiencing those really, really difficult times, you just have to keep going. Okay, this is our time to interact just a little bit. What solutions were put forward by you know, psychiatrists and psychologists and people that were struggling with, with anxiety? What, were some of the, what was one of the first things that you saw? Medication, yeah, so psychotropic drugs, right? So, so we see that there, there could be, you know, there's something psychosomatically going on with you. There's something wrong in your physical body and your immaterial body. So let's just treat that with some, with some drugs, right? Okay, what else? Okay, yeah, cognitive behavioral, even before that, what was it? So more like marijuana, right? Like a new type of experiment, right? And, and just think about how, how that might solve some problems or maybe create some problems, right, for you, right? So it doesn't take care of the problem. It just kind of helps you deal with the problem that's there, right? It just kind of helps you just chill just a bit, right? Okay, so cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It's interesting, the person that brings that up calls this anxiety a disorder. Did you hear that? All right? Well, what causes our lives to be disordered in the first place? Sin and curse-filled world, right? So we live in a world where we sin and we live in a world where we're sinned against, right? We just sing about it. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The king of glory, not cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not saying it's bad. Please hear me. I'm not railing against it. I am just talking about something that is far superior to that. Listen, do you hear what she said? She says cognitive behavioral therapy is a systematic process. Great. Of understanding the way we think behave and the choices we make. I'm like, I'm all for that. I'm all for renewing the mind. But then did you hear the last thing she said? They also create a new mindset, I think. I think. I'm paying you $175 an hour to think. No, I need answers. I need to know. I need to know that there's a God who can handle my anxiety, right? I'm not saying CBT is bad. I'm not, all right? Cognitive behavioral therapy. It's, I think it's good to think through these things, but devoid of Christ, we're in trouble. So, and the lady said, well, therapy is the solution, right? I just need to meet with somebody. Or how about this one? This one shocks my mind. The passing of time. All you have to do is just keep going through today. Then tomorrow will happen, and eventually there will be enough tomorrows, and you will not be feeling this feeling anymore. So it's just enough to keep you going. That's far from what Jesus promised as being the abundant life, right? The passing of time doesn't do anything. And tell that to the person that's in a perpetual state of disorder or, or chronic illness. It never gets fixed. So there's no hope in that. So this is what blows my mind, though, because I'm going to play the second part of this clip with the exact same participants talking 
about how to deal with stress and anxiety in their life, and I want you to be floored with what they say, and I want to point to you, because they're pointed to something that can be of benefit, but they don't know exactly what they're pointing to, and I want to show you exactly what they're pointing to, and I want you to just make some observations as we push play and we continue to watch this clip for the next minute and a half. It's become so apparent during the pandemic, but social connection is one of the most powerful ways to disrupt anxiety. Loneliness is one of the biggest um, detriments, not only to mental health, but to physical health. I experienced a divorce this year, and between the revelations that ended my marriage and being faced with starting my life all over again, I ended up again in a depression anxiety cycle. I hadn't told my mom, I hadn't told my best friends about what had happened in my marriage. I was just trying to focus on meditation and journaling and I'll go to therapy and I'll just, I'll just do all the things I can do to try to deal with this when the, really the thing I needed to do was lean on the women in my life who loved me enough to help me through it. In whatever way we can find connection with others that's authentic, I mean, forget everything else I've said. That's probably, that's probably the best thing we can do. But the truth is, normal responses to abnormal environments uh, that, that you don't have to say is a disease. In some ways, instead of fixing our world and the real problems in it, we're using psychotropics to have people just sort of accept the broken world that we're offering them. Did you hear the first thing that was said? Social connection is one of the most powerful ways to disrupt anxiety. The lady goes on that was being interviewed and says, I, just, I did meditation, I did journaling, I did therapy. I'll do all the things that I can do to deal with this. But really what I needed was to lean on the women in my life who loved me enough to help me through it. The next person to talk says this, this shocked me. Finding connection with each other that is authentic, I mean forget everything else I just said. For the last hour, forget everything else I just said. You just need to find some authentic connection that's probably, quote, the best thing that we can do. And when I watched this secular documentary, I paused it and I looked at Suzanne and I said, this is exactly what the church is supposed to be and do. What all these broken, lonely people are looking for is that connection with, with the body of Christ, with Jesus Christ himself. Do you see this? I watched this and I, was, I immediately thought of, I thought of uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Just some, well, who's going to give the good word? People around that person. Not just some human struggler connecting with another human struggler, but what about establishing a connection with the one who created us, who can bring our chaos back into order? What about the process of being made right with him? How powerful might that be? What about finding connection with God through being an engrafted member into the local congregation and becoming known and accepted by others and by God himself? This is the role of the church. 
The church is God's solution for the brokenness that these people were talking about. Forget everything I just said. We, need, we can't just medicate and just pretend like the brokenness isn't here. We have to admit that the brokenness is here, but God's solution is also here. And it's very real in our world, and it's the living church of God. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And we're like, okay, that's an amazing verse. That, might, that puts some wind in your sails. I can't believe that I get to be the body of Christ. But what's more amazing is the reality and the honesty of what comes one verse before this verse. Look what it says. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a connection and a unity there. Whether you're in a time of sorrow and suffering or the heightened elements of joy in your life. You're there together. You're not there all alone. The church is God's solution for the brokenness that's very real in our world. The church is the family and the household of God, the scripture writers tell us. The church is the body of Christ. It's a temple of the spirit. The church is a pillar and a foundation of the truth, and the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the flock of Jesus Christ, and he is the shepherd of the flock. And when we gather together in unity, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. And guess what? People get cared for. It's interesting, the corporate language that you read as Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. This isn't just about individuals. This is about corporate union language of the body of Christ. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but built in the sight, or but but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, plural, like living stones, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, not a holy priest, but a priesthood, a collection of people to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you, plural, are a chosen race. Once again, a royal priesthood, not just a priest, but a priesthood, and not just a person, but a holy nation, a people for his own possession. To do what? that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We are God's people. And once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. What do the people of the world need? They need the mercy of God. How are they gonna get it? It's by the living church of God proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called them out of their darkness into his light. And we're a part of it. God has provided the church with the necessary resources and design for us to care well for one another with the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit as we are led by the head, Jesus Christ. The church is the institution that is exactly and uniquely crafted to meet the world's deepest needs. About two and a half weeks ago, I met with someone who is a local licensed mental health professional and this individual told me, we need help. We have waiting lists out the door. We need the church to help. <laughs> okay. 
or this person's insurance has run out and I'm therapist number five for them. So just go down like the conveyor belt of therapists and therapies and, and why are they all number five now? If one, two, three, four didn't work. So we need the church to be the church to come alongside and provide this connection. People talk about an epidemic of loneliness in our world. People feel like they're alone and they don't belong. I saw this article pop up that came out a few weeks ago about students on college campuses. Look at this. This is completely secular. Everyone is talking about belonging. What does it really mean? And the author is talking about how no one feels like they belong anywhere. People feel like they don't belong, and they're saying that that's the problem of society's problems. Like they don't feel like they fit in at home, they don't feel like the school or wherever, in their own bodies, and everybody's just like all over the place. They don't know who we are, we don't know who we are. And the church is the solution is what I'm gonna suggest. Listen, every human being is a social creature. We all have social longings. We are all wondering where we belong, and the truth is that we belong in the garden with God, but Humanity has been kicked out of the garden, but God in his own great mercy brought his very own presence into our chaos as Jesus Christ dwelt among us. And then after his death and resurrection, he became the firstborn of the new creation itself and then called us out of this old creation by causing us to be born again and transferred into a whole new kingdom the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there's redemption and the forgiveness of our sins, and we all of a sudden belong where we are supposed to belong all along. And we're united to God again. And so that's why Paul tells the Colossians, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth, for you've died And your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Jesus, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So based off of this article, Albert Moeller says a few of these things as he interacts with the content of this article about belonging. And he says this, college students are now more emotionally brittle than they were in the past. And that COVID has exasperated the situation. It's also affecting high school students and middle schoolers, teenagers, young adults. They are having difficulty. They are increasingly emotionally fragile. This isn't throwing stones. It's just pointing out like there's a problem going on. And not just with our young people, but all people. Where do we belong? And they don't know their place in the world. And many of them say they don't even feel like they belong on the campus or the college or the university campus that they're going to, that they paid a lot of money to go to. I don't even feel like I belong here, even though I'm paying a lot. As we look at this, we simply understand that there is a longing here, a longing that's genuine and a longing that's appropriate. Where do I belong? And the church is made up of regenerate believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, made up of disciples seeking to be faithful and seeking to be faithful together. So this is what Albert Moeller says, track this. We understand that belonging to the church is actually the most powerful sense of belonging because we will always be part of the body of Christ. Once part of the body of Christ, you're always part of it. You don't ever graduate from it. It lasts until eternity. And so he continues on and says this, 
Once we are united to Christ and we're made part of his body, we are together with fellow disciples from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation for eternity in Christ. That's where you belong. In a right relationship with God, connected with other members of his body. And so I say the church is best positioned and equipped to bear the burdens of soul care for people. God has not given any other institution in the world the responsibility to minister to the problems of life like we are. The church is the God-ordained institution that he has actually given jurisdiction to in order to care for people in their brokenness. And so here's the question. Do you want to be shown the pow- how powerful the body of Christ is? What about when tragedy strikes? Many of you probably know this because many of you have been praying for this. Don and Ann Kleindel had their world changed in the last week and a half. As Don was at Bible study last Wednesday morning, started having some headaches as he went home, recognized there's something not going right here, so he went into Bellingham to the hospital and they recognized that there was bleeding on his brain. They can't deal with it there. He's airlifted to Harborview. While his wife is being driven to Seattle, And they're like, what is going on? And all the while, people are praying things and sending messages of encouragement that sound like this. Anne, I imagine that you're filled with anxiety and fright. The ache of the unknown is heavy. I'm praying for God's provision of peace for you, realizing that he cares for you more than the birds and the flowers of the fields. I pray you cast your cares upon him, and I pray that he guards your troubled heart. You are loved by the community that you have been a part of here at FCC, and you are much more loved by the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. And I just want you to know that you're really deeply loved, and my heart is compassionately heavy for you guys, praying that God sustains you, and that even in this hard time, the grace and strength of Christ proves miraculously sufficient. Response. Listen to this. I have such peace. I have such peace through all of this. God's presence has been felt. Response later, we continue to praise the Lord for his faithfulness and peace. That's what the church does. Peace? When your husband is airlifted and you have no idea what's going on. How does that happen? It's when one member suffers, we all suffer. Do you hear that? We all belong together. We're in it together. That's what the world needs. So you can say what you will about Bill Hybels, but I still think that he has one of the best paragraphs written about the power of the church as he says this. Nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. And that's on us to make sure it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. No other organization on earth is like the church. Get this, nothing even comes close. And you and I get to be a part of it. Part of the institution 
that nothing else on earth even comes close to. And it's been given to us as a gift. <laughs> you don't have to pay your dues. You've just been brought in. And he says, now go. Go and be my hands and my feet. And that makes me think that we serve a pretty incredible God. And so I want to close in prayer, and I want to close by singing a song as well. Let's go ahead and stand as I pray and as we sing. God, we are humbled by the reality that we get to be a part of this. And to be a part of this, our dues were paid because Jesus was given on our behalf. And now we get to be the corporate body of Christ as we gather together here in this location. We know that the church is universal too. There's other places all throughout the world where right now people are gathered and congregated and they're getting ready to be commissioned out into their normal lives to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you've done the same thing right here at 586 Birch Bay Linden Road. And we are humbled by this call. And God, I pray that we would go out and do these great things that you've called us to do. I'm reminded of when Peter was reinstated He says, do you love me? Peter obviously says, yes. And he says, then feed my sheep. The way that we demonstrate our love for you, King Jesus, is by assisting your people and even those that are not your people that need to be called your people. God, I pray that we would be people that declare your excellencies and help us to do that even now as we close in our song. It's in Jesus' name we pray.